Welcome to podcast episode three. Today's topic is all about abundance. Abundance, which if you Google it, just means a very large quantity of something. (laughs) But that word has taken on new meaning within the spiritual conscious community to become like the greatest aim in life almost is to have an abundance of everything you want and desire. And I think that can be a beautiful thing. But I also think that there are some misconceptions and myths about abundance that run rampant in the spiritual community. And I kind of want to break those down a little bit today and then get into what my perspective on abundance is, how money and abundance are actually separate. They're connected, but why it's important to separate them. And then getting more into abundance and the nervous system. So what is abundance as a state of body? I'll begin by breaking down these five myths about abundance that I see. Um, These five myths. I'll begin by breaking down these five myths about abundance that I see really commonly around how abundance is used in, in marketing and to appeal to people. And they are, number one, if you're not rich, you're not abundant. Number two, if you're not spending a ton of money, you're not abundant. Number three, if you're not quantum leaping, you're not abundant. Four, your thoughts and your mindset are the reasons you're not abundant. And five, abundance is the opposite of scarcity. So let's break those down a little bit more. The first one, if you're not rich, you're not abundant. And as I said earlier, money and abundance are separate. Yes, they're connected, but they're separate things. Abundant wealth, having an abundance of money, is different than abundance itself, which is something that, yes, can show up in money, but abundance can be spread across all areas of life. You can have an abundance of time. (laughs) You could have an abundance in your relationship, a friendship. You could have an abundance of alone time. You could have an abundance of creative ideas. You could have abundance of nature. You could have an abundance of puppies, of dogs, of animals. (laughs) Abundance of puppies. Now that that is my type of abundance. (laughs) I love puppies. So as you can see, abundance can be spread across all facets of life. And so abundance of money, abundant wealth, um, you can be abundant and, and not be rich. So this myth, it's a myth that if you're not rich, you're not abundant. I know a ton of rich people that are not abundant. So the second myth, if you're not spending a ton of money, you're not abundant. And this is rooted in consumerism. And this is one that I have fallen a victim to before. Because sometimes I have a plan of how I want to spend my money and that bumps up against maybe how other people think I should be spending. Like I worked with a coach that was wanting me to spend all this money on extra stuff that I hadn't planned for and then was kind of making me feel like I was coming from a place of scarcity But really, I was setting a boundary. So just because I didn't want to spend money on these things that she wanted me to spend on doesn't mean that I was being in coming from a place of scarcity. I 
was abundant in, in boundaries, you know, like, and that's another thing about abundance is when you say no to something, you open yourself up to what you really want. And that's abundance thinking too, is believing what you really want is possible for you. Thirdly, if you're not quantum leaping, you're not abundant. There is so much around quantum leaping out there in the ether, in the spiritual communities, and it does not jive with me. If it jives with you, then that's beautiful. But for me, it feels rushed or like putting a pressure, like I'm not moving fast enough. If I'm not quantum leaping, I'm not doing this right. And it almost just feels like a shortcut or something. Like, oh, you could just be quantum leaping all of this process that actually takes time and nurturing, whether it's starting a business or in relationships or whatever you're trying to speed the timeline up on. And it really that's comes from this place of time scarcity. Like, oh, we don't have enough time. You know, you better get your business or you better find a relationship or whatever. Like, you need to quantum leap because there's not enough time. That's time scarcity. Like, you don't need to quantum leap. How I see it is if I do, that's great. And that's something I won't realize until I'm on the other side anyways. So I'm open to a timeline not having to take a specific amount of time but I believe and I feel more rooted and grounded when I get into the the expansiveness and the space of knowing that I have time that I am moving at a beautiful pace that is right and aligned for me I don't need to be quantum leaping so that's a myth if you're not quantum leaping you're not abundant you can be very abundant (laughs) without quantum leaping. Fourth myth is your thoughts and mindsets are the reason you're not abundant. And this is very mind focused, like valuing the mind over the body, which is really common in our society that treats us like brains on sticks. And it's also very individualistic, like, oh, it's all up to you. You're not a part of this interconnected ecosystem of people and and systems and macro forces that shape us when you say your thoughts and mindset are the reasons you're not abundant that's like putting way too much pressure on the individual way too much value on the mind and it's also gaslighting like it's making you the problem when actually we're in this culture that is so full of problems (laughs) like it's not all about you it's not like we are a product of our environment that doesn't mean we're stuck that way but it does mean that it's really hard to move forward without acknowledging that and knowing that like everything in our life isn't our fault that there's more beyond just us that's happening (laughs) And the fifth one, the fifth myth is abundance is the opposite of scarcity. Really the opposite of scarcity is is enough, having enough. So scarcity is like, wow, I don't have enough either to get by or to feel like I can be myself. And the opposite of scarcity, you know, is that enoughness. It's not 
in abundance of everything. And Brene Brown speaks to this. She says the opposite of scarcity is not abundance, it's simply enough. And in her book, Rising Strong, she speaks to the impact of living in a, a culture of scarcity that she calls a culture of never enough. So I'm never blank enough. And so the myth of abundance is the opposite of scarcity really is rooted in this capitalist society that is constantly driving us for more, 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 more. Because we're living in scarcity at times, we're focusing on the, on the lack, then we're just focusing on fulfilling that need and it almost feels like we could never have enough of it. But really, that overconsumption, that's not abundance. Because there's not that feeling of groundedness and sense of self. So I don't want to say abundance is the opposite of scarcity. Because the opposite of scarcity is, you know, ha simply having enough. But I think it also, like on the, on the healthy side, but I think it also can swing into overconsumption and overdoing it, really, to just fulfill what you feel you're lacking inside. So those are five myths about abundance. I just wanted to get out there before we dive into what I see abundance as because a lot of what I just said is what a lot of people say abundance is. So if you listen to other podcasts on abundance, you probably would hear more about something like those things. But you're going to hear something different here. <laughs> so let's start off with that idea of enoughness. So in the last episode, I spoke to scarcity and if having enough, but what is enough? That is so personal. It's so personal based on your lived experience and who you're around and who you've been around growing up and your social circle now. That really determines what enough is as the social comparison, as we talked about in the last episode as social creatures, our definition of enough is so influenced by the people around us. So when we think about abundance, I don't think it's really about having enough, enough because a lot of us want more than enough and I don't think that's wrong. We want enough to move on past survival into thriving. We want enough to thrive. And if you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs or whatever, you know, at the top is self-actualization. There's a deeper level of work there, of knowing yourself, of knowing what moves the needle for you. What actually is it that you want? Not what is it that people around you have or what other people want you to want, but there's a deeper sense of knowing yourself and having connection to your own intuition that is even deeper than the level of the mind, the mind that's doing the comparing, connecting below that. And we've been talking about having enough, you know, so that means like uh, resources, money, time. But I like to use the iceberg model for this because money is at the top of the iceberg and having enough, that having, having enough, having enough time, money, resources, that's at the top of the iceberg. That's a result, not a cause. So if we look below the iceberg, one thing we've talked about is 
underlying structures like a culture of scarcity and cap capitalism that encourages scarcity and inequality. So that shapes our results at the top of the iceberg. But also down there is, is our way of being as an individual. How are we showing up as an individual? That way of being is another thing and the bottom of the iceberg that is the below the visibility line of what we see in our life, but is shaping the things above the visibility line. So what is abundance as a state of being? If I'm saying a state of being, a way of showing up in this world is one of those causes of our results. Abundance as a state of being, I believe, is believing in possibilities. It's living your life in a way that you believe, you're open to believing that what you dream of, what you would love to be doing, is possible. Just even being open to the idea that it is possible, even if you don't yet believe. But that is abundance. And then allowing yourself, your intuition, to discover new possibilities. You know, dreaming. Letting your mind wander and open up to what are these things that I'm interested in doing Abundance is being able to open yourself up to the unfolding of the most you you can be. So it's in this process being open to seeing how can I really step into my own authenticity by believing these possibilities are, are even possible. Keeping my eyes open, my intuition tuned in to discover these possibilities and then being open to them unfolding to help you become the, the most you. And in doing so, you start spending your time doing things that make you feel alive and feel good. Abundance is feeling good. And I do believe this translates into a vibe. <laughs> you know, a good vibes, a vibration is kind of how you hear about it in the spiritual world. Um, I used to listen to so much of Abraham Hicks. And I'm not going to dive into vibration and the vortex and these manifestation things that are out there. But I do believe that in that vibe of just that vibration, that way of being in the world, it's not going to solve everything being in a state of abundance. I do think that when you're in a good vibe and that abundant vibe, then you naturally attract good vibe people and opportunities, but it doesn't isolate you from the challenges of being human just like what if you're a low vibe it's not the cause for everything bad that has happened to you you're not that all-powerful and i believe this way of thinking can provide a false sense of control over life where it's so black and white around like your vibe and your thoughts of dictating everything in your life this work around abundance and manifestation and your thoughts controlling your reality is not a cure for being human. There still are going to be the ups and downs of life. And so you did not attract all of those things based off your vibe. That provides this false sense of order in the chaos that really is what is around us. That doesn't mean I don't believe in synchronicities and the universe because I am all about that. I love that because I think it's fun, to be honest. 
So I just want to separate those things out is that your vibe doesn't dictate, your thoughts doesn't dictate everything in your life. That way of thinking, people really latch onto that because it gives a sense of control. That being said, I do believe you're co-creating with the universe. You don't have complete control over the universe, but you are co-creating, you are participating in the creation of your life through the vibe that you bring. But you can't control everything and everything that comes in your life is not a result of your vibration or your thoughts. So let me switch back a bit into the good stuff like I left off saying abundance is feeling good that good good vibe but then also like that good feeling in your body in past podcast episodes I've talked about in somatic experiencing like these good feelings and emotions in our body we label those as the color blue and more of the negative feelings and hurtful emotions and thoughts and body sensations we label those the color red so like feeling anxiety or scared those are red and you can start to identify from a sensations perspective how does this red show up in my body how does what does feeling bad feel like it's so much easier for us as humans to know what feeling bad feels like abundance is getting strengthening that connection with what feeling good in your body feels like and in the book pleasure activism the author adrian marie brown describes feeling good or pleasure as as i describe abundance i think that there's a big connection there so the author says pleasure is about feeling whole and satisfied not indulging in excess. Pleasure is freedom to feel happiness, joy, and satisfaction. In short, to feel pleasure is to know that you are alive and liberated. Wow, I think that's so beautiful, and that, I believe, is abundance. Feeling whole and satisfied, not indulging in excess, not having too much, but having freedom to feel happiness, joy, and satisfaction, to feel alive, to know that you are alive and liberated. She goes on to say, the work we do to reclaim our whole, happy, and satisfiable selves from the impacts, illusions, and limitations of oppression and or supremacy. So that's what pleasure activism is. That's the name of her book, is that she's saying within the limitations of these systems of oppression or supremacy, it's activism, it's rebellion to feel good in your body, to reclaim yourself as whole, happy, and satisfiable, to be able to be satisfied. Maybe that's the opposite of scarcity. You know, I was inspired by Brene Brown to say just having enough is is the opposite but is it to be satisfied well i guess i'm saying that's abundance stream of consciousness stream of consciousness here as i sort this all out they're complex um concepts you know so it's like whatever just feels good with you but i do like the idea of like on one side of the spectrum is scarcity and then 
you know, on the other side of that is having enough, simply having enough. And then on the other side of that is feeling satisfied. And then on the other side of that is excess. So if we see it as like this long spectrum from like scarcity to having enough to feeling satisfied to having excess. I like that. That helps me conceptualize these concepts. Yeah. So feeling satisfied, that's beyond that's beyond just having your basic needs met to survive. Like when I think satisfied, I think like a really good meal that tastes really good and like meets what I was like craving or desiring for food, like whatever I I was like wanting. That's satisfaction, like, oh, that's so satisfying. And that's different than like just eating to be fed because I'm needing to survive. Like, you know, it's dinner and there's dinner time, there's no food, so you just like eat eggs. You know, that's <laughs> that's simply having enough. But yeah, just having eggs for dinner is different than like having your favorite meal where you feel like really satisfied. Like that is abundance, that's satisfaction. And not to the point where you're overeating that meal, where you leave feeling like stuffed and like you have to be rolled home and you overdid it but like having the meal that tastes so good and you listen to your body and you eat it till you're full that satisfaction and so tapping into this this pleasure this abundance like using pleasure in this way is actually a little bit controversial because pleasure is often like demonized (laughs) like oh you know you're just doing that because you're greedy or whatever you know pleasure can be demonized in fact um I was reading back through this old paper that I had saved to my computer from college on Buddhist economics which um, of course, I am a Buddhist economics, uh, a Buddhist economist. If I were to call myself an economist, I would call myself a Buddhist economist. I, this is like something that I've been like interested in studying for years, and I, I really value alternative models to how our economy can be run. So I find it interesting, and maybe I'll share more on Buddhist economics. Just do a whole podcast episode on it. That'd be fun. But within Buddhist economics, they see pleasure as bad so it's different like this pleasure activism book and kind of how some other spiritual teachings approach pleasure as seeing it as something that's a bad thing that um, buddhism recognizes two different kinds of wanting and i'm sorry if i say these wrong but the first one tanha is the desire for pleasure objects and the second one is chanda the desire for well-being. And it says tana, tanha is based on ignorance, while chanda is based on wisdom. And so I think we're talking about a different type of pleasure. I think Adrian Marie Brown is talking about a different type of pleasure that is wisdom, that is based on wisdom. And that wisdom comes from 
our body and what we are drawn to and what we pull away from. Our nervous system, that's what it does is it is looking and scanning the environment and telling us like, oh, move towards that thing or, oh, that's a threat, move away from it. So this pleasure is something that instinctually we are drawn to from a place of of wisdom. It's not from a place of excess. We've been taught really to repress our desires for pleasure so that any sort of allowance is seen as excessive. But how can we bring more nuance to pleasure and see where there's pleasure that is not excessive? And how can we find this this balance and this nuance of pleasure and the wisdom of pleasure? And in Adrienne Marie's Brown's book, she comes back to everything in moderation, which... <laughs> Um, that doesn't, that's not a very fun answer, but um, I'll keep going with the book because it's so good. But she says, when you get used to repressing your desires and withholding pleasure, you're essentially growing accustomed to not getting what you want. She says, is this any way to live? Hmm. Yeah. Repressing your desires and withholding pleasure. You're essentially growing accustomed to not getting what you want. I can see in my life how I've gotten so good at that. (laughs) I got so good at making myself do the things that I didn't want to do. And seeing that desire, that that desire, that pleasure for for work and for my life to feel better in my body, seeing that is bad. Like, oh, that part of you that desires something better, that is dreaming and wants to actually feel feel good and how she spends her time and how she spends her days and what she's creating that's bad (laughs) that's what's going to get your life off the rails here let's bring us back on course suppress those desires for pleasure and feeling good suppress that desire for abundance and just keep going down the path of safety within the scarcity culture because at the time I believed that if I wasn't hustling if I wasn't overriding my body I wouldn't be able to take care of myself and to survive but really this desire and this pleasure and this feeling good in our bodies and knowing what that good feeling feels like right because we talked about knowing what red feels like what anxiety feels like but with blue with these like pleasurable these good feelings it's harder to know what that feels like in our bodies because we don't focus on it as much we have a negativity bias that is really a part of our system's learning process to keep us safe is looking out for potential dangers and really even one trial learning remember it but we need to work a little more intentionally to land these blue feelings and sensations in our bodies and feel safe feeling those, not suppressing them, feeling safe to feel good, and then feeling safe to take inspired action based on feeling good. So feeling safe to feel abundant and take action from that place of abundance. So the key message here is embracing pleasure can get you closer to what you really want in life. And so that means embracing abundance 
can get you closer to what you really want in life. In Adrienne Marie Brown's book, she says, the sign post for what you really want is an orgasmic yes, <laughs> which is juicy. Um, yeah, that's definitely more juicy sounding than everything in moderation. But the question to use to determine if you really want something is noticing, is there a sense of resistance or is there a sense of opening up and feeling more alive? And that really is what can bring you to what is your enough to thrive. <laughs> How do you define for yourself what, what enough to thrive is for you? What, what is abundance? And it's by following these abundance cues in our bodies, which are that, that big yes. And on the other side of our big yes is also listening to the big no's. Our big yes drives us forward, but our big no's open up the space for that yes to come through. Abundance is tapping into this vision within the body, mind, and spirit and moving forward towards your big yes. That is abundance. That's, as I said, believing in possibilities, staying open to seeing them in the world around you, and taking inspired action and making that space through your nose for that to even happen. I have an abundance example, and it's kind of funny. I was out getting ready for my photo shoot, getting shopping, getting some last minute things for my photo shoot and I went to Free People and I chatted with a girl working there and yeah, roundabout way we connected because she was interested in the work that I'm doing and I noticed when we connected on Instagram that she's a professional dancer and since Bali, I like reconnected with dance and loved just having that back in my life again. It was my big yes. It made me feel so alive. And then now that I'm back in the U.S., I haven't found that type of dance nearby. And so I reached out to her and I asked her if she'd be interested working with me one-on-one -on -one to develop a piece because I don't just want to take a class. Like I want to create a dance piece. And she was like totally down and then we connected, we met up for coffee and just totally jived. Like it was so kismet, like what are the odds? You know what I mean? We had such a brief conversation of free people, but then really found a way for us to share our gifts and collaborate in that way to really support each other where we are in our evolution at this point in time. And it was so beautiful and fun. And like, to me, that's abundance. You know, I'm here in the US and I'm not finding the dance that I had in Bali. But instead of focusing on the lack of it not being here, complaining about, oh, I miss Bali. There's so much more dance and yoga and all that stuff. Because there is. <laughs> But instead, I was like, how can I just stay open to finding dance here and maybe even something better? Because I could create something and have support in doing that and then really see myself as a dancer again. And so, like, I've, out of all places, I made that connection with free people. And no, at free people, not with, <laughs> um, with uh, my new friend Jacqueline. And so, like, to me, that's an example of abundance. It's instead of focusing on the, the lack of what I want in my area, I'm thinking about what are creative ways that I could make this happen with where I am today and s believing that's possible before I even knew that it was. And it really comes from following 
this felt sense of yes and no. Like I had such a a big yes and an embodied yes is what I like to call it. Like from my body, I'm feeling like this yes. Because I'm like tuned into that more, that interoception, that ability to listen to my body from the inside out, I can assess if I want something based off of how my body responds. So when I think about working on this dance project, I was like, okay, I'm really lit up about this. I, my voice gets a little louder when I talk about it. My hands go a little crazier. Like I feel this energy coming up from my solar plexus, like up through my throat and into my head. And I'm like super expressive and you can hear it in my voice. Like I just really am excited about this idea of creating a dance piece. And like knowing what that feels like in my body is a core part of following my intuition, knowing what my embodied yes feels like, and also listening to my embodied no. Listening to when my body sets a real boundary that says no, because if I don't listen to that boundary, my body will. (laughs) If I don't listen, if I cross a line, my body will make the line known. Um, it does that. It's really our way of protecting, which is just such a reason to listen to our bodies more, uh, take care of ourselves based off what our bodies are telling us. And so I want to talk about like this abundance stuff from a nervous system perspective. I've been touching on it along the way, and I'm going to uh, read from um, some of Deb Dana's work, who is a leading researcher on polyvagal theory, which is how the nervous system works. It's broken into this polyvagal ladder where at the top of the ladder, they call it ventral vagal state, which is where you're feeling safe and connected. And then, and that's, yeah, when you're not in under threat, but when you feel under threat, then you drop down to protect yourself out of need, out of survival into your sympathetics, your fight or flight, or into your dorsal vagal collapse, which is that freeze collapse response. And earlier I spoke to how I define abundance as seeing possibilities and then taking inspired action and believing that they could be true. That I believe connects so clearly to the ventral vagal state. So this state is where Deb Dana says you feel connected, collaborative, cooperative, self-compassion, compassion for others. And the statement about it is, I'm curious about the world and my place in it. So this is the story of connection. But then as you move out of this regulated ventral vagal, then you're moving out of abundance. So that abundant state of connection, collaboration, seeing possibilities, and into the sympathetic which is the story of protection, protecting yourself. And the statement there is, I have to be better than everyone else. So you're driven to compete, move into judgment, critical of others, and this downward comparison. I have to be better than everyone else. So we know what happens when comparison steps in is scarcity. That when you compare yourself to other, you determine your own enoughness based off of what others have, which then brings about this feeling of not having enough if you 
compare yourself to someone that you perceive to have more. That brings you into scarcity. Scarcity also can look like this story of disconnection in the dorsal vagal collapse, that freeze response to the nervous system. So this is loss of hope, self-critical, upward comparison. I'm never going to measure up. So that's comparison again, and comparison is in that scarcity mode. So this is what abundance and scarcity look like from a nervous system perspective. And this is really an area to focus on because, as I mentioned earlier, money is a result, resources is a result of these things under the visibility line of the iceberg. You know, those are the things on the top of the iceberg. Under the visibility line are some of these structures that we've talked about, but then also your state of being, your nervous system state of being, your emotions, your thoughts do play a role. They don't play the whole role, but they play a part of this co-creative process. And when you're in an activated state in the parasympathetic of the dorsal vagal collapse or the sympathetic mobilization of fight or flight, you're in scarcity. Your state impacts your thoughts. And so then you'll be thinking those scarce thoughts and you won't be looking for what's possible. You'll be looking for what you don't have. So from a nervous system perspective, abundance is being in that ventral vagal regulated state, that story of connection and possibility. And I believe that is what true abundance is. That's embodied abundance. And that's the abundance that I teach and help clients reach is how can you develop this embodied abundance within yourself? That embodied abundance is likely to result in abundance in other areas of your life. One of those, you know, could be money. So (laughs) let's talk about what the connection is between money and abundance. Because I think in a big way, and what we've talked about throughout this podcast, is that money can really cause people to be in scarcity, which is you know, under threat and in the sympathetic mobilization and dorsal vagal collapse mode, where they're just focused on tunnel vision of keeping themselves safe and not being able to think expansively and see possibilities and in that abundance mindset of the ventral vagal. And so that's where money can play a role is if you don't have enough or you feel like you don't have enough money, that really blocks your ability if you feel under threat because of that. It blocks your ability to be in a state of being that is abundant, that abundant state of being, which is the ventral vagal regulation at the top of the ladder in your nervous system. And also I want to split money and abundance apart even more to see the seven levels of financial freedom. And these were developed by a guy named Grant Sabatier. I'm not sure if I said his name right, but the seven levels of financial freedom. So this is us just being able to like, it's not like there's having money and not having money. And you just go from not having money to having all the money. Like there's there's levels to this shit. Isn't that a thing? So these seven levels of financial freedom. First level, clarity. You figure out where you are financially and where you want to go. Level two, self-sufficiency. 
The description here is you've moved out of mom and dad's and can cover your expenses. Three, breathing room. You're saving money and no longer living paycheck to paycheck. Four, level four, stability. You have no bad debt and six months worth of expenses for emergencies. Five, flexibility. You have at least two years of expenses saved. You could take a year off of work. Six, financial independence. You can live off the income your investments generate. Seven, abundant wealth. Money isn't a concern. You have more than you'll ever need. So I just wanted to share that because it breaks down, okay, what does abundance look like as a, from a money perspective? And kind of where do you feel you are on these seven levels of financial freedom today? And maybe it's a mix. I know I'm a mix of these, so it's not um, cover everyone and all the nuances of your situation. But I like it because it breaks apart where are you on the scale so you can kind of see what your next step is. And you can, no matter what number you are on this financial freedom ladder levels, you can be in a state of abundance or not in a state of abundance at any of the levels, whether you're at level one, clarity, or level seven, abundant wealth. That does not mean that you are in a state of abundance. So that is something that you can work on no matter what your current level of financial freedom is. And also if you're you know, dreaming about having more financial freedom, just thinking, oh, I want abundant wealth. That's what I want. I want abundant wealth. I want more than, than I even need. Maybe look at what's the next step. Where's the next step that I can go? So that's like where that quantum leaping again just gets a little, mm, I don't love it. (laughs) Like it doesn't leave room for just taking the next step, which can be so motivating. You don't need to go from one to seven. Like you have time to get to seven if that's where you want to be or six or five or four. You know, stability is a beautiful place to be financially. Having breathing room is a beautiful place to be financially. Reaching self-sufficiency, getting clarity, like being on this ladder from clarity to self-sufficiency, breathing room, stability, flexibility, financial independence, abundant wealth. It's accepting where you are and seeing the beauty in where you are today. That is abundance, even if you're not at the level of this financial freedom. But be careful with that as well because you don't want to like gaslight yourself and be like, oh, well, you need to be grateful for wherever you are on this ladder because or else you'll just stay there forever. <laughs> like meet yourself where you are. Be like, even though I worry about money and I don't have it all figured out and you can get as specific or not as you want, I am open to seeing what I have today and being grateful for it. You don't need to just whip yourself around and go like, no, you must be abundant. (laughs) You must be grateful. No, like you can be fully yourself. It's okay to have these negative thoughts. That's not what I'm saying is that you can't have negative thoughts because that would just be ignoring yourself. 
like acknowledge yourself for where you're at today and saying, even though I'm here today, I honor myself for being here and I believe it's possible. I believe in the possibilities of my future. That's abundance. That's how you can be abundant at any level of this financial freedom scale. (laughs) Or even if you're not on the scale yet. So with that, I just want to leave off with another thing that irks me a little bit about abundance is (laughs) like forced abundance, you know? Like, oh, you must change your thoughts and think abundantly. Kind of like I was just talking about this, this grateful thing. Um, and like almost like it's uh, they speak about it in a way as if it's something you should just be able to do. <laughs> and I just want to share that to live in abundance is rebellious. It's rebellious. It's going against mass consciousness, the norm of scarcity. So, like, acknowledge that it's a rebellion to be abundant, to have a state of abundance. It's even more rebellious to claim that abundance, to claim that pleasure before you've even reached a state of abundance, let's say, with what you have or money. That is so rebellious. And I think that's a lot of what Adrian Marie Brown speaks to in her book, Pleasure Activism, that I shared a bit from today, which is embracing pleasure, that abundant feeling, that good feeling can get you closer to what you really want in life. And doing that in this world that we live in, that is rebellion, that is activism. So I leave you with this to process and to think about what does abundance feel like in your body? What do these blue, these good feelings feel like in your body and what in your life brings those feelings about what are your glimmers that's what they're called (laughs) these things that bring about these blue sensation these good feeling these pleasurable these abundant feelings what are those glimmers that activate that within you we talk a lot about triggers the things that activate our sympathetic response or our dorsal vagal parasympathetic collapse but what are the glimmers that's abundance too right it's like looking at what are my glimmers and how can I make more space for my glimmers in my life these things that make me feel good and bring me into this ventral vagal this top of the ladder safe and connected what are those glimmers and I invite you to write those down and to see how can I make some more space for my glimmers in my life. I also invite you to star the ones, the glimmers that don't relate to spending money. Where are these things that you're not even spending money or consuming or participating in the, in the economy, but you're just like using what you already have to resource within yourself to bring about the state of, of abundance. So just In that way, even separating abundance and feeling abundant from money. Like drawing that. So how can you, what's a glimmer that you have that you don't need to spend more money for? You know, what is something you already have? And 
you know, it could be like your dog, you know, like (laughs) what are these things? Write a list of your glimmers and see how you can make more space in them for your life because that is abundance. That is living abundantly. And abundance is something that can go across all different aspects of life, you know, from friendships, relationships, um, nature, whatever. So I hope that this dispelled some myths around abundance and kind of what I feel like it can be confusing and really um, very money focused and out of reach and kind of gaslighty and uh, internalized capitalism, you know, what I talked about before, and replaced it with something that's more grounded and embodied and is something that you feel you can bring into your life today no matter where you are at in terms of financial freedom and separating, again, separating finances from abundance. They they do cross over sometimes, but not all the time. So separating that out even more. And just a reminder, on the first Sunday of every month, I host a monthly money circle for women. It's only $3. And if you're going to only do one thing, to work on your money, this is the thing to do because it is a space that is gentle and accountable and really such a safe enough place to begin your money journey or rebegin. And it meets you where you are at. Um, you don't have to share anything that you don't want to share but really a space to just dedicate time once a month to looking at your money and really connecting with other people and hearing from them on where they're at in their journey with money. I also created a gentle awareness ebook, I guess, workbook, playbook, I think I called it. And that's coming out of the last circle that we hosted where this desire for this the space of the circle to be this gentle accountability and that general accountability really begins with this gentle awareness. So as you're starting to look at your money, how to do it in a way where you're not harsh and critical with yourself because that will only send you down paths that are like things you've been trying to get unstuck from. But taking this gentle awareness keeps you feeling safe and connected and able to see new possibilities and take inspired action to make real progress in your money life. So I offer those as well as you can uh, book a call with me to see if working one-on-one would be a good fit. I have a few openings for one-on-one clients where really can dive deep into creating a, a custom program to you. And yes, we work on money, but money is connected to everything. So a lot of it is nervous system based and also dreaming, thinking about what what do you really want to do with your one wild and precious life if money isn't holding you back? And yeah, I can customize that really to the needs of, of you, be that if you want to concept a business or if you want to make a career pivot or take a break from your career. There's different ways where I can help you envision and bring to life what this new step for is for you. So I'd love to hear any feedback that you have on this episode or if you want to connect in one of those three ways. I look forward to that. And yes, this is a new podcast. So sharing with your friends, if you like them, um, if you like any of the episodes or commenting, 
um, or I guess it's leaving a review. <laughs> if you could leave a review, that would mean so much to me. So thank you.